Okay, welcome back. Lesson five, z-scores, percentiles, and box blots. So let's begin with the discussion about z-scores. What are they? So for all intensive purposes, it's probably really important to memorize the formula, of course, such as z equals x minus mu over sigma. Uh, so we definitely want to, or the sample z-score, which would be x minus x bar over s, sample standard d. So these are definitely worthwhile memorizing. However, we really want to want to understand what it tells us. So the z-score represents the distance that the data point or the data value is from the mean in terms of the number of standard deviations. So long story short, a z-score tells you how many standard deviations above or below the mean you are um, or your observation of interest is. So we find it by subtracting the mean from the data point, the data value, and dividing this result by the standard deviation. Uh, there is both a population z-score and a sample z-score as seen right here. So definitely devote these to heart. We're going to play around with them a lot and then later on and then again later on in the course. So um, the mean height, let's dive into an example. Mean height of males 20 years or older is six, about 69.1 inches with a standard deviation of, of 2.8. And what I always like to do as soon as we start, you know, reporting on things such as that, I always like to start to draw the normal curve. So let me sketch the normal curve here. So for males, so <clears throat> for males and center your normal curve at the mean. So for males, you know, we have a mean of 69.1. I'm just going to hover the standard D and I'll write standard deviation of the males is a 2.8. I'll just hover that right around there. Okay, now for the females, the mean height of females is, you know, this is really close to 5 foot 4, so 63.7 inches with a standard deviation of 2.7 inches and uh, tells us where this data is uh, obtained from. So who is keyword relatively? Who is relatively taller? This basketball player, Kevin Garnett, who's 83 inches tall, or the female basketball player, who's 76 inches tall? So meaning relative to the males and the females, who is taller. This is a fancy way of saying who has the higher percentile rank. Well, in order for me to figure that out, I gotta get a z-score. But let me draw the females here. So the mean of the females, 63.7, and I'm just gonna write standard deviation of the females, um, 2.7. So basically we have Candace Parker, she's clearly above the mean. I'm just going to put a star here, okay? And clearly she has a high percentile rank, but how high is it? And, uh, you know, later down the road when we really go in-depth about z-scores, we'll be able to figure out that probability or that percentile rank. And Kevin Garnett, well, he's way up here somewhere at 83 inches, and this is just, and clearly, you know, he's way above the mean, so he's got a high percentile rank, but which one is higher? So you can kind of see a partial solution here. So we get um, the z-score for Kevin. I'm going to call that z sub k. So we take Kevin's. Now you see it right here, but I'm going to talk it through. We take Kevin's height minus the mean of the males, which again is over here, 69.1, mean height for the males, and divide it by the standard deviation of the males. And you see that right here. So here's Kevin's Z-score. 
you will. We then we do the same thing for Candace. So we take Candace's height, and like I said, she's 76 inches tall. So we take Candace's height minus the mean divided by the standard deviation, and we got her z-score. Now the thing is, on the standard normal curve, clearly 4.96 is further out in the right tail than 4.56. So what that means is that Kevin Garnett's height is really close to five standard deviations above the mean. And Candace Parker's height is about 4.56 standard deviations above the mean. So Kevin is relatively taller. I like to think of it like this. I'm just going to write it in words. Kevin would have the higher percentile rank. Okay. So when we go later on to find the, the probability of selecting a male shorter than him, that probability is uh, higher than the probability of selecting a, a female shorter than her. So higher percentile rank. Okay. So another way to say, another way to say it, if you're trying to make it sound easy to yourself, 4.96 is further out in the tail, further out in the right tail than 4.56. So it's, uh, that's what's leading to the higher percentile. There's a more area to the left on the standard normal curve. So taller, relatively taller. Okay, that's like if somebody was in the 97th percentile in height for males and the female was in, the, say, the 94th percentile. So although we haven't actually calculated their percentile rank because we haven't learned that, that information yet, know that we could. Okay, hope that helps. Now let's uh, see what's on the next slide. The doctor says I am in the 85th percentile for height. And this is true. <laughs> Assuming that heights of women are normally distributed, interpret this statement. Well, if I'm told I'm in the 85th percentile for height, that means that only 15% of women are taller than me. Of women 20 years or older. Um, or I could say that 85% of women are shorter than me. So, so, thus, if you're in the pth percentile for anything, weight, height, SAT, GRE, if you're in the pth percentile for something, that means that p percent of the people fall at or below you. So that's like if you take a standardized math test and they say you're in the 95th percentile for math, that means that 95% of the people scored at or below you. So there are some very special percentile markers called quartiles that we want to get comfortable with. So quartiles divide your data set into fourths, four equal parts, hence the word quartile. See the derivation of the quarters. Um, the first quartile, denote, denoted Q1, divides the bottom 25% of the data from the top 75% of the data. So long story short, the first quartile is the 25th percentile. The second quartile is synonymous with the 50th percentile, or the median. And the third quartile, uh, the third quartile, I like to say, is synonymous with the 75th percentile. All right, if you're a visual person, let's just take a look at Q3. So Q3 means that 75% of the people are at or below that marker. And we see, and we see that uh, it makes sense because 
25, 25, 25. So 75% of the observations would lie at or below Q3. Okay, so now here I have a lovely recipe for you if you, you know, are interested in finding um, quartiles by hand. Actually, that part doesn't need to be there. Let me cut that part out. Sorry about that. I wanted you to see just the recipe itself. So if I was going to find my quartiles um, by hand, I would arrange the data in ascending order. I would find the median, and then I would divide the data set into halves, the observations to the left of the median and above the median. And then Q1 is just the median of the bottom half. And Q3 is just the median of the top half. So that's a simple way of uh, finding your quartiles. Good news is we certainly don't have to do that by hand. We can get the calculator to do it for us. But here we have, um, this is data on the speed of vehicles traveling through a construction zone where the speed limit was posted as 25 miles per hour. So 14 randomly selected vehicles are given here. Um, now we have an even set of data, so just wanted to mention, I'm not going to find all the quartiles by hand, but if I did want to locate the median, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it's already ranked, you know, from smallest to largest. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the thing is, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six observations ahead of this point. And one, two, three, four, five, six observations. So what I'm saying is the median has to be logically what in between these two. If an even set of data, well, what's halfway between 32 and 33? 32.5, right? So like I said, you, I have faith that you could find the median by hand if you wanted to. But let's start to look at the technology. Let's do this on our calculator. Find and interpret the quartiles for speed in this construction zone. Okay, I'm going to go to the calculator. I'll hit pause. Okay, so just in case you're rusty, <laughs> uh, re recall that you hit stat. I'll do it with you. Stat. It says edit, so you just hit enter. And you just input the data. So I'll start typing. I am using my keyboard. So 20, 24, etc. So you just start typing in the data. Now I'm going to hit pause though as we type in the rest. Okay, so I've got all my data in and you can see my cursor is over the, see how it says over the last observation, see how it says L14? That means there was a 14 in your count, which is a good double check that I put all 14 in. So anyhow, I would like to retrieve the quartiles. So good old stat, calculate, one variable statistics, and we've done that before. Hit enter, just hit enter. All right, page on down, and you'll see your five number summary, which I'm going to talk more about. I, I can tell you now, your five number summary is your min, your max, your Q1, your Q2, and your Q3. Um, but for now, I just want to steal the quartile. So Q1 is a 28, the median we know, and Q3 is 38. So let's just kind of write that there then. Q1 is 28. Q2, remember, is synonymous with the median, which we had said earlier. It's 32.5. And Q3 
is 38. Well, now these sentences down here make a lot more sense, right? When you say 75% of the speeds, well, actually, I like to read it more like this. Let me read it like this. 25% of the speeds are less than 28 miles per hour. Well, that makes sense because Q1 is 28 miles per hour and 25% of the observations were at or below that marker. Let's try again. 50% of the cars, you know, or the speeds in this sample, are less than or equal to 32.5 miles per hour. So that means 50% of the people were traveling at less than or equal to 32.5 miles per hour. And last but not least, 75% of the people were traveling less than or equal to 38 miles per hour. So now we see a really easy way to retrieve the quartiles. Next slide. Suppose we add another car to the our sample, a 15th car, and it happened to have been plowing through that construction zone at you know 100 miles per hour. How does this value impact the mean, the median, the standard deviation, and the interquartile range? Well, we talked before about this. We said that the median is resistant to outliers, resistant to larger, you know, extreme observations. So I've have the numbers here for you. You can run it yourself if you like, but. The original set of data, you know, your mean it was 30 or your median was 32.5. If you add that extreme value of 100 to the list, it doesn't really make the median go up much. See? It goes to 33. That's not much higher. But look, it drastically drags up the mean. So the mean note to self is uh affected more. Okay, and note to self, the median is what we call more resistant to outliers. Okay, and you can see the standard deviation because it takes into account all values in the data set. The standard deviation was drastically dragged up, you know. It's a measure of, how, of dispersion in the data set, and that makes sense that, you, you know, you add something like 100 that differs away from the rest of the group, your measure of dispersion went up significantly. Now your IQR, because that's just a markers, you know, Q3 minus Q1. By the way, your interquartile range is Q3 minus Q1. That doesn't go up uh, drastically. You know, it goes from 10 to 11. So, question is, if we were to throw this 100 mile per hour observation onto our data set, would it be considered an outlier? Now your gut instinct says, well, it's so far away from the rest of the group, it's got to be an outlier. But you can't go just off a of gut instinct. There's got to be some kind of formula, right? So we'll add the 100 to our previous data set, and we're going to make a modified box plot to have it show us if it's an outlier. But here's how you would do it the old-fashioned way if you're going to do it by hand. You'd get your Q1 and your Q3. You'd get your interquartile range. By the, and I'm, again, I'm just reminding you that your interquartile range is just Q3 minus Q1. It's that easy. And then you get your fences. And your fences serve as cutoff points for your outliers. So Q1 minus 1.5 times your IQR is your lower fence bound. Q3 plus 1.5 times your IQR is your upper fence bound. Okay? Anybody outside of those fences is considered an outlier. Well, let's just do it. So <laughs> let's go back to our original data set and Let's just add the observation of 100 on there, onto the bottom of the data set. 
Okay. Now, now remember, I had reported how adding 100, you know, how it would affect the, uh, the standard deviation. And, you know, we can confirm that. Let's just confirm that. Let's just run a stat, calc, one var stat. See, now look at the standard deviation. went up to S, S for sample standard deviation, 18.5. See? So, indeed, it did go up to 18.5, you know, for the sample standard deviation. But how do we view this modified box plot with outliers? So um, it's real simple. Second stat plot, hit enter, highlight the guy that looks like a box plot, this guy with the outliers. This is a box plot with, you know, not displaying any outliers. I like this one because it'll tell you if you have outliers. You just hit enter. And it says L1. My data's in L1, so I'm safe. That's fine. Zoom. Page all the way down to zoom stat. Haha, -ha. and indeed. Now here's the cool thing. Hit trace, and you can trace over your box plot. It's telling us the, the lowest observation was 20. It's telling us Q1 is 28. Q2, the median, is 33, which is matching up with you know what this chart tells us is the median. Go back there. It's telling us that Q3 is 39. And then it's telling us, you know, it's kind of misleading. It, it's kicking, it's kicking this uh, 100 out. See, the fact that it's out here as like a little star all by itself, that means that 100 is indeed the outlier. And then if it's the outlier, it's kind of tossing it out and saying, aside from that value, 40 then would be the highest observation. But anyway, this is the quickest visual way. The modified box plot tells you who the outlier is by making it look like that. You see it deviates um, from the rest of the group. So my question is this. Let me use the snipping tool. This is a perfect time to, to do this. <clears throat> when you have a box plot, you can start to talk about the shape of the distribution. Let me grab that. So if you think about it, if I were to superimpose a curve here, the tail, whoosh, the tail is to the right. Note to self, right skew. So when you see problems like that in the book and elsewhere, um, we're looking at a right skewed distribution. Tail is to the right. Okay. So in the past, we looked at histograms to determine whether there was skew. We can also look at the box plot. All right. So hope that helps. Um, so the box plot is just a visual display, really, of your five num sum of your five number summary. Okay. Now let's see what is on the next slide. Oh, and voila. We got as far as we wanted. I did want to mention, I probably should mention, um, you can cook up, let, you can cook up those fence bounds. I should do that with you. Let me grab a, Q1 and Q3. Let's run that again. Stat, calculate, one var stat. I never did this with you by hand. So Q1 is 28, Q3 is 39, uh, 39 now, and the max observation is 100. But let's get this interquartile range and let's see if we can cook up these fence bounds by hand before I, I bring this to a halt. So again, Q3, 39, Q1, 28. So Q3, 39, Q1, 28. 
So the IQR then, 39 minus 28, is 11. All right. So now let's cook up these fence bounds. So Q3 plus 1.5 times the IQR, which we now know is 11. Well, Q3 was 39, so 39 plus 1.5 times the IQR. Well, just be careful how you're typing that out. I'll do it with you. 1.5 times 11, get that answer. And then add it to 39, so you gotta do order of operations. So your upper fence is 55.5. Your upper fence bound is 55.5, and that's why it makes sense why. So there's kind of like an invisible fence here at 55.5, and clearly the observation of 100 lies outside that fence bound, and that's why we have an upper outlier. And in a very similar manner, you could get um, Q1. You get your lower fence bound. So Q1 minus 1.5 times 11. I'll just crank that out for you. Lower fence. So again, I would do order of ops on that, so I'm just going to hit 1.5 times 11, get that answer, and then 28 minus second answer. So 11.5. So your lower fence bound was 11.5, but there were no data points less than 11.5. So there's no lower outliers. There's only someone that lives above that upper fence. Okay? Um, hope that helps. So now we know that it's very easy to report on the five number summary um, just by running a one var stat on your calculator. And I'll reiterate that one last time because I know I mentioned it very briefly. If you're told to report the five num summary, five number summary, you go stat, count, one var stat, and let's just page down, and let's retrieve that right there. Okay? So I call it the five num sum. <laughs> five, uh, five number summary. Okay? And in fact, let me just take a screenshot of that while we're at it. Okay, so last but not least, um, feel free to retrieve your, your five number summary from your calculator. So your min, your max, your Q1, Q2, Q3, you can retrieve all of those, your five num sum from the calculator. Okay, I'm not gonna force you to do that by hand. Um, all right, hope that helps. Good luck out there.